Hello. Welcome to the Rockwardness Podcast, where every episode we talk to an incredible musician about why they started playing music, why they kept going, and they play us one of the first songs they ever wrote. We're your hosts. I'm Rose Sean. I'm Terrence LeClaire. And I'm Tony Tancredi. Our guest today is a troubadour, a renaissance man, and a snappy dresser. He may just be the most interesting man in the world. Tony, how the hell did you meet Pete Molinari? Well, I met Pete through Tisa Houston, the ever-alluring boss woman known as Collage, and wife to one of my besties, Winkler, so shout out to Dr. Winkler. Uh, Anyways, Tisa turned me on to Pete's music, and I really dug his vibes, so I asked if she could connect us, and I guess we caught him at a good time, because he just finished recording, and sounded like he was stoked to come over to the house. So yeah. he, he came right over almost. Oh, he was kind yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah, he was kind enough to come over with Tisa and we had just like a nice little backyard hang with the two of them and Pete's lovely wife, Mila. But uh, Pete has been recording and touring since he was a teenager and I really won't even try to say more than that because this man is a born storyteller and uh, let's let him tell it. Let's to the hear backyard. it. And we're on, we're live. It's rolling. It's rolling. We're rolling. So fast. We're back outside of Spencer's house. Great. Pete, welcome. So great to have you. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Welcome to the backyard. Meet you all. Yeah. 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 Welcome to Rockwardness. I I briefly spoke to Tony and I just got back from a recording session that I was doing in Nashville and and we had a, you know, it was kind of pretty hectic for me, but we had a five-minute chat about, you know, getting a song together. And I remember putting the phone down and being like, that's, that's a cool angle to kind of do something. I don't know the song that would fit, but, yeah. <laughs> but I, I thought of a couple of things that would work. So I'll, I, I'll go into the explanation of what I'm going to play, if, if you like. Yeah, you know? sure. I never really recorded a version of this song to go on a record, you know, which I, I love a recording. I love, I always see recording as real, you know, documenting things uh, that you've written in the same way a painter would, I guess, or a, or a playwright would. And then you, you, you know, I love playing shows live. I love, I love doing that too. But um, I know a lot of musicians that very much, you know, their, their career or their, um, their, their passion with music is to, to play 365 days of the year <laughs> they can. And for me, I guess, sure, I want to do that. I, I see the I see the the playing live part as more of the kind of work or the chore or the kind of like, all right, this is what you have to do now. I'm <laughs> yeah. done. Mm-hmm. And and whenever it comes to to writing and recording, I I see that more so as the kind of stuff I will do naturally because I just love being in a studio. I love I love writing. So um, regardless of of whether I sold anything, I think I would I would be doing it because I just love doing it. So this this particular song was. Um, the only recording that exists of it was, I guess I was um, at art school at the time. We just started to to really take writing, mu- uh, writing music and songs seriously. Before then, probably at school, I was writing short stories and poems and stuff. Uh, and then after, you know, playing the guitar, uh, I, have, I come from a family of nine. I have five brothers and three sisters. Wow. It's like my family. Yeah. My, my mom's from the Medi, you know, she's from Malta, an island just close to Sicily. And my dad is from Alexandria and Egypt and, and Molinari comes from, you know, Italy, my name. So my, my grandfather was from Italy. Um, and 
all of us, me and my siblings, grew up in England, you know, very close to London, um, in a place called, I was born in a place called Chatham in Kent and, um, and grew up, you know, and Chatham's quite a rough town, you know, it's kind of got its, its docks and navy and army and all of that kind of stuff. And it's close to Rochester, which is where I went to, went to art school eventually. Um, and Rochester is, um, got a lot of history based in, um, you know, I mean, it has a castle, cathedral, it has ancient ruins, all of that kind of stuff. So it goes back to Norman story. You know, you can you can trace it back so many, so many years. It is very famous for Charles Dickens because he lived there and they have their Dickens Festival and all of that kind of stuff because he done a lot of his writing there. Um, and Chatham is the place I was born in, which is very close. And, and, it, and you know, Chat I always felt like Chatham was kind of like a place I wanted to escape. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much to to just Rochester, which is like 20 minutes away, but I guess to the city, to London, to New York, yeah. to Paris, to wherever. Yeah, make moves. You know, I I grew up in a in in a family that was kind of like very Mediterranean influenced within my household. My dad always listening to opera and and such. And um and then obviously you know, going to school, I was I was amongst friends that were all English. So I had these two worlds of like, you know, outside the door at school, it was very Brit. And then, you know, once I would enter the, the front door of my house, it would be, you know, Maria Carlos and Pavarotti pretty much. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so I mean, this this song is very influenced by my, my hometown. And the only, the only recording of it that exists was when I, I did go off on travels and spent time in New York, um, kind of halfway for art school i i um i was all right for the first couple of years i guess in rochester then when i ended up going to uh campbell school of arts in london i by that phase i was kind of like very very into just playing shows and and you know writing songs and and, and ended up dropping out of that but um uh so i i went off on certain travels to to france and to mainly to new york i guess was the place to that i always thought a, a singer songwriter should be and and you know new york i felt like was a bit it, it just had a bit more of a kind of connection with like the the parisian way of doing stuff which is sure. very much in 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 cafes and on the street and they have a respect for the street performer and such. So I guess, and Greenwich you know, village and that history yeah, too. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it just always felt more like home to me, even, even more so than London in a way. And then I, I quickly, you know, after spending some time away, gone back to England and there was an artist that I kind of grew up really liking as a kid, this chap called Billy Childish that was in my hometown. That's right. If you don't know about, know about him, he's someone very worth checking out, you know. Mm -hmm. um, you, you, if you do hear about him, he's very kind of underground, but if you do hear about him, it may be because Jack White or Dan Albeck or Kirk Cobain or these guys really loved this guy because he was... You know, even in the 70s and 80s, he was kind of handprinting his books and, you know, writing a writing a collection of poetry and putting it out himself. And he'd release like three albums a year or something or four albums. You know, so he's very, very, it's happening a lot now, but he was doing it, this do-it-yourself yeah, thing runner. before. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd kind of got, I connected with, uh, you know, I found out about him through school and, you know, buying his little collections of poetry and getting into a lot of trouble for it for school because it was quite derogatory. <laughs> but um, after after going off on travels and such, I, I kind of, um, I remember being in an art school band for a little while that wasn't 
my band, but I thought I'll learn something, you know, and I was kind of like just playing in someone else's band. And we'd played a show with Billy, who was like this kind of like, I guess he was kind of like an old bottle of wine by that point. He, he was like a, you know, he's an acquired taste, but a very, he's very precise about the things he loves. And um, and he was like an, an electric performer, you know, he's like incredible. Um, and, you know, I, I still remember my 14-year-old self thinking like, wow, you know, rock and roll is, is, isn't dead, you know, it's like you don't, you listen to it on record, Little Richard and Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley, but like here's a guy that's really doing it, you know, live. And and so we, we kind of, at school I would go and visit him and then when it came round to like after being in New York, I, I you know, he saw me perform in a band and then I still remember him handing a guitar to me in his in his house while I was kind of like just hanging out with him and I played a song and he was like, you got to leave that rubbish band, believe me. <laughs> he, didn't, he wasn't the guy that minced his words. So yeah. he was very brutally honest. And he was like, you can, you know, you, you can, you can do, you can, not many people can kind of hold their own with, a, with just a guitar. So I didn't, I guess I didn't want to hear that at that time because, you know, being in a band and girls and everything. But, uh, but he, I, you know, I, I took on board what he, what he was saying and I thought he, he, there was something really um, powerful about, what he was saying that resonated with me. And I went out on the road with him to Germany and places in England, and I was playing a show in London, and the guy from this record label, Damaged Goods, was, you know, which is a very punk rock record label. You know, everything it signed was pretty much three-piece combos and people that threw, threw together a record in an hour <laughs> um, in a garage or something. But uh, and, and there was this guy there from Damaged Goods that was like, do you want to make a record? And I was like, sure, you know. So it made sense that I would make a record with Billy because I was just touring with him a lot, just supporting him solo in all of these clubs that would usually usually heckle you to death, you know. But, um, <laughs> but it seemed to work. I don't know. It was a strange dynamic, him being this hard-edged, like, brutally honest punk guy and me doing pretty much the Greenwich Village or Cafe Society thing. And we just made this record walking off the map. And this particular song that I thought I'd choose today was a song that might have kind of like made it on that record because I'd written it like years ago in art school, maybe like the first, one of the first batch of songs. And, um, and it, it never did. You know, it would have fit perfectly on walking off the map because Billy recorded it on his little tape machine that kind of sounded like an Alan Lomax recording from 1940 or something. <laughs> so good. Um, and, you know, he, I sang a song with his wife and Wolf kind of like played the tambourine in the background. It was kind of very, very organic recording. Um, something I'd never guessed people would have liked, but I got kind of good little following for it. Um, and this song was, was one of those ones that I was maybe like, should I include this? And it wasn't included. And the only other recording of it that exists was um, I became friendly at the time of the release of that record. There was I made really good friends with a guy called Will Hodgkinson, who's now editor of the London Times. But he was like a freelance writer for Mojo magazine, and like he, everyone knew this guy in London, and and he was kind of fan and kept turning up at shows of mine on my own and shows with me and Billy and and um, and. He was a journalist primarily, but he was writing these little novels on the side, you know, which were kind of, if you check them out, there's like Song Man, I think is one, and and Guitar Man, these little kind of novellas, traveling books. And he had this uh, idea to do the Alan Lomax thing that Lomax did in the kind of 
1920s and 30s, I think, and recorded Robert Johnson, Led Belly. So he, he thought, I'm going to do this book called Ballad of Britain and go around England and, you know, record these artists that I like, Some one from Liverpool, one from Sheffield, one from Manchester, one from Glasgow, maybe one from London. And, and he came down to my hometown, which I actually was probably, I was living in London by that point. But he was like, I want to, go to your hometown and record you there somewhere in a cafe or in a garden or something. So this book's called Ballad of Britain and, and the only place that uh, uh, this song exists is on the kind of CD that he made with that. Amazing. Um, yeah, I need to find that. Yeah. And I'm not much, I've never been much one of those kind of guys at a gig that goes into the explanation of a song because I always, I'm a big believer in, a song, if it's kind of got that's the substance you want in it, it will explain itself, you know, yeah. if, mm -hmm. if you listen to, to people that write that way. But um, I guess for this particular program, I should give it some kind of explanation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's called Blacktown, which is kind of like a, um, I guess it's a bluesy acoustic number. I couldn't imagine if there was a record, I would do a recording of it, that there would be any instrumentation on it because it's quite raw. Um, and, and Blacktown, I would, you know, is kind of like... Uh, inspired by my hometown Chatham and I saw it as a place at the time where I kind of guess I I thought I have to escape this place you know which is very you know there's it's just a tough town where there's you'd walk down the street you know I still remember walking down the street with my mum and dad and brothers and sisters and I'd see people falling out of the pub fighting drunk you know it's one of those uh, places yeah. that isn't isn't uh doesn't have too many redeeming factors to it apart from apart from <laughs> the you know it's people are pretty real and um mm. honest in their approach to everything but it, it it's uh it kind of, when i first went to liverpool for the first time it kind of reminded me of liverpool really mm. you know and i'm a big beatle fan and stuff but i would imagine you know liverpool as as the merseyside and the docks and and the town hall and, you know, although it's bigger, I, I felt like Chatham kind of reminded me of that somewhat. Uh, so I guess I guess the explanation is um, is that it's called Blacktown and it's inspired by my hometown. Love it. Love it. You want me to sing it? Yes, yes. please. Yeah. 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 Nothing would make part. me happy. Now the hard yeah. part. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was, I, I only approached this for the first time yesterday and how many years did you see if I could get it? Uh, all right. Is a man. 
do when he's misunderstood. It's too late, too late, too late, too late, too late I realize that I just can't escape My mind, my mind can't find no peace of mind Got a wandering woman Gonna leave me far I guess I would have been about 16, I guess. I mean, I, there might be earlier things that I might have tried at school. I mean, I, I had older brothers and, two, you know, mainly two older brothers that had a, a guitar around and I, they were probably just toying around with it, right, you know, uh, playing whatever. And I, I guess I just kind of gravitated towards trying to learn, learn old songs. I, ne I never really, you know, had lessons in anything. I just kind of learnt my own way by listening to whatever I was listening to, I guess, at the time, which was would have luckily enough been a great collection of records, you know, because they always mm -hmm. had good ones and I had uncles and stuff that were into jazz and blues and rock and roll and all of that stuff. So it was a very organic, I guess, if I use that word, approach to to um, to music and learning my own style and, and way with it. Uh, and, um, yeah. I guess, you know, I mean, I, 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 I do like the power of an acoustic song and, you know, stripped down like that. And I also love the, 
love the way you can arrange something and make it up tempo and do a totally different arrangement with it. But it's kind of pretty moody and 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 I think it it sets the tone for what I was probably feeling. <laughs> but I played it yesterday for the first time in ages and I was like, wow, it kind of almost it's funny the power of music, how it can almost take you straight back to that place. It's absolutely. You know? yeah. It's true. It's, it's so of, relatable how like at sixteen yeah. you're like, it's too late. I know. It's too late. I know. <laughs> yeah. like, I got, I've got to get out of here. Well, I'm done. I you was know. just thinking it's a very world weary yeah. song yeah. for a sixteen year old. Yeah. You know, from your perspective now, it's like, oh, I was only just getting started. But at that time you're like, well, it's I might over. as well just it's, throw in the towel yeah. now. It's yeah. funny. I, I was talking to a friend the other day, and they were like, "Why do you have such a kind of like, um, you know, you really do love America?" And I was like, "Do you get that from me talking about?" <laughs> He's like, "Yeah." And I said, "You know, I guess, you know, there's an, there's a novelty factor to everything. If you're born in America, I guess you want to go and live in." Paris or London or something London, and if yeah. you're brought up in England I guess the romanticism of New York and and LA and all that stuff is but uh also I I was like I, I have this strong memory of um of being at school you know and I went to a Catholic school which was kind of pretty strict I guess and I still remember the school teacher you know talking pointing at me while I was looking at the window probably paying no attention and him saying something like you know Molinari, you, you're here to just make up the numbers, do you know? <laughs> and I still remember for some reason I was like, I don't know, I guess it was an arrogant part of myself, Torian part of myself maybe, to being hard, hard-headed, thinking like nothing I learn in this class is going to do me any good because mm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm getting out of here somehow yeah. or another. Do you know what I mean? I still had oh, I feel even... You. You knew you were mm, on like, a path. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I Trains was just bound like, for glory. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Indeed. I mean, I, I learned about all of that stuff later on and Kerouac and Guffrey and all that, those American stories that really, really um, influenced me. But um, but even then, before I'd even learned about all of those um, people, I, I guess I guess school for me was just something I had to do and I was just like, I'm, I'm getting out of here. And I did have uh, some family mainly from, from Alta in Italy, that had moved to San Francisco. So they were the only family I had in America. And when we, me and my siblings were little, they would always come over, you know, and I'd, there would always be one of the family that would come over. And we'd always have little books on, mm. you know, I don't know. I still remember a little Arthur Miller book or uh, Tennessee Williams or something oh, nice. that me and my sister would share. So America, films, music is always... There's always been a big thing to me, in a way. Especially that era, huh? Um, yeah, in a yeah. way, I guess. I mean, rock and roll is really exciting because it's kind of, it's just like, you know, you listen to everything that happened in the 50s and the 60s and and it's so exciting to hear that stuff, the sound of it, and it must have been even more exciting to have heard it then. Oh, yeah. Mm. But I do love the kind of, the foundations to that stuff, you know, the the you know the folk stuff, I guess, that was happening here and... And the jazz stuff that my girlfriend, you know, is kind of knows a lot more about than I do in some ways. But I, I love, I love the things that kind of just arose out of um, poverty and such in America. I guess, yeah. and the way they kind of got creative of all of this stuff is incredible. You know, it was like storytellers going town to town with an acoustic, yeah, and just uh, protest songs came out of that. Yeah, a lot of yeah, journalists with guitars. Yeah, it's amazing when you look at that whole, um, you know, I mentioned the Alan Lomax thing. I don't know a great deal about it, but um, I remember that period talking to Will about his book and it 
And we were talking about how he had gone round to, you know, I think mm -hmm. he even recorded Lead Belly while he was in prison or something like that. There's an mm -hmm. amazing story about that where he went into certain establishments. He was he was serving a life sentence at that point. It's such an incredible story to read about. And, he, and he'd recorded him there doing, uh, you know, those great songs, which I believe Nirvana covered one of them later, uh, Where Did You Sleep Last yeah. Night? Yeah. And Goodnight Irene and all those songs. Mm. And then Robert Johnson famously being recorded in a hotel room. I think it's amazing to, to you know, when you go to places, New Orleans and all of, I'm, I was just down in Nashville, but if you go, you know, years ago when I recorded in Nashville, the time before we went, people took me to Oxford, Mississippi and all those places. It's just amazing that all of that, you know, exists within America somehow or another. It's fantastic, yeah. I think. Can I ask you something? You so, sure can. Um, you, your older brother, you said, had your older brothers had these old records, right? Yeah. And a guitar and all that. And so, I mean, there's that, obviously that thing of like your older siblings, you're kind of like, oh, they're so cool. They know what's up, right? But do you think that um, the sort of like working class area that you grew up in is maybe what drew you to the kind of like the bluesy, folky stuff, like kind of the, the music of the working class American, even though you didn't live in America? Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's an interesting question because... You know, I could certainly see some comparisons, even though culturally it's so different. You know, England, obviously, uh, to America in many ways. Um, people are still people, you know. Even if someone's English or someone's American, there are there are, there are similarities to people you'd see in... You'd, you'd meet in New York and people you'd meet in London, and I guess there are similarities to people you'd you'd meet in... Mississippi and and you'd meet in Chatham, my hometown, you know, because mm. they're not kind of as worldly or not as, um, you know, haven't traveled as much or not as, I hate to say it, but probably not as educated as they would be in the city, you know, in some of those establishments. So I think it certainly did, um, you know, being brought up in, in the kind of family I was, which was very much, you know, I wouldn't say I knew poverty or anything, um, we certainly didn't have, you know, the best of things. Food was always, you know, if you had good food and, and that, that it was very, uh, very Mediterranean thinking kind of family, which is like food first and, you know, and if you're going to get a nice couch or something, the kids are going to ruin it anyway. <laughs> you know? So it's, um, right. that just yeah. didn't happen. And we all shared, um, I, I, you know, one thing that can, the the most amazing thing that can come out of being in a big family and not having much is that you learn to share everything. Mm. And that, and it's the biggest thing, I think, that is kind of like um, ran through my life is that, uh, you know, every now, I say, to, I say to my girlfriend Mila sometimes, I'm like, well, it feels kind of, it feels still feels strange to me to be able to buy something for myself sometimes because it was all, everything was shared between us brothers and sisters, you know, the family I grew up in. And I guess, you know, that, that is a working class attitude and, and, and undoubtedly, I guess, is, you know, it's an interesting question and to look at it that way because undoubtedly it has an impact on, on what you're writing about maybe in some ways and, and what your influences are. And, um, you know, my, it's funny that the first music I would have heard would have been, um, would have been my dad always loved Maria Carlos and Pavarotti and these opera singers and, and um, classical music and Mozart and Beethoven and all of that stuff, which I I guess I probably didn't appreciate so much at the time. And eventually when you get to an age and you'd, you realise it's maybe not cool with your school friends and you want to talk about Bob Marley or Jimi Hendrix or something or, mm -hmm. 
or, you know, the Smiths or Primal Scream or something, you kind of move away from it. And the funny thing is that I probably listen to more of that now than, yeah. than anything. I'm always like wanting to go to the see a string piece or see an opera piece or the ballet or something because it was so ingrained in me as a kid, you know, the, those kind of arts that's very central to Europe, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, very and, epic stories too. Yeah. I mean, there's so many. Uh, recently I got, for some reason, really, uh, really – wanting to read about that stuff you know I always kind of I, I'm not much of a I'm a big reader but generally I like to read about ancient books or something or Egypt or I, I don't necessarily read a lot of autobiographies or biographies but lately I I read you know this book about Maria Carlos because it I guess being it's away amazing. from home too yeah. is like you want to read about the things that bring you closer to your family. So I read about that and I read about Rudolf Nureyev, uh, a book about this ballet dancer and, and Russia, which is a whole other world. And that's what fascinates me about the arts is the culture, not necessarily always. I, I think we pay a lot of attention to style and sound and, and um, format and stuff. But when you think about it, you know, Bob Marley's from Jamaica and, and the Beatles are from England and, you know, Rudolf Nureyev is from Russia and, and you know, all of these different cultures that mm. make art what it is is incredible, you know. And like the, the day-to-day behind it kind of thing? Sorry? The day-to-day behind it? Yeah, I mean, it certainly has an impact. It kind of yeah. goes back to, to your question is that it's, you know, the, the environment certainly plays a big part to it and, and the culture you're brought up in. Not everything, I think that, you know, I guess just because Bob Marley's brought up in Jamaica doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily going to make him a great songwriter or anything. I think that was obviously in his spirit to be that great. But I think you know the place he he was brought up in and that culture probably lended quite a, a hand to how substantial that material is. Just the same as you know, great ballet dancers come from um, Russia or, or whatever, or great. Um, Classical musicians came from Germany. You know that that kind of stuff just intrigues the hell like out the of me. Like the mediums informed by the culture. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. when you think it's like a it, wine. Well, you know, like grapes growing up. <laughs> yeah. you know? Right, the terroir, yeah. the terroir of your yeah. music. Yeah. Was the music was the was the the bluesy stuff the Bo Deadly and all that was that Did your friends think that was cool? I think all of my friends were just really into. Britpop, I think, at the time. It was kind of very, like, a huge phase of when I was at school. Of You know, I think some of it had already happened. Um, the the foundations of that stuff, which was kind of the Stone Roses and Primal Scream and stuff in England that was a... And earlier groups like the Smiths, I guess, and, um, and other things that were happening much earlier in the 80s. But then in the 90s, all of a sudden, it became this kind of mainstream thing. And I guess I was a bit, you know, at school, I was a bit snobby about it because mm. I was like, well, I've got the records. Of, I've been listening yeah. to my brother's got the Beatles <laughs> yeah. and the Stones and, and you know, and... Uh, so you were that guy. Okay. I was kind of... <laughs> yeah. I was that guy and I was like always looking for like the... And I was also... I was also not just into music. So I was kind of heavily into like reading literature and stuff. I was kind of really wanting to read books and... And, um, and you said you wrote poetry too, which, you know. Yeah, I mean, poetry is a big kind of pretentious word. I guess I was writing, um, I have I have now like published a little collection of lyrics and poems just because I so thought cool. I had, finally had the courage to do it. But 
I mean, the the poetry I was reading, though, which is like the the epic stuff that you read in England, because that's what you have to do in England is read Shakespeare and all of that stuff. Is um is you know you feel when you feel forced to to do something because of education, it doesn't feels doesn't feel as good. But when you go back to it later on, and you're like, damn, this stuff's pretty damn <laughs> great, you know. And you're at art school, you're like, wow, these stories, whether they're written in old Elizabethan English or something, are pretty. Yeah. Amazing. Well, it's like your ninth grade teacher just kind of fucked it up because, like, yeah. they managed to ruin Chaucer yeah. for you or whatever. Teachers and you know, parents sometimes fuck up everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They don't mean to, but they they can do because you feel it thrust upon you. You know, where you you want to discover stuff for yourself. But well, I managed think... to make Shakespeare feel dry when really it's like pretty saucy and dirty. Yeah, mm. absolutely. It's it's funny. I think the I think. You know the the bluesy stuff. I I think was definitely something that wasn't necessarily lying around in my, my, my with my brothers and and uncles and relatives. I was really fortunate to be around good music, and my dad would always talk to me about Italian cinema and Charlie Chaplin and all this stuff. So I was really, you know, I often say to anyone, I, I was definitely not spoiled in the way that I would get the school holiday, but I was really. Now, in hindsight, I was like, "Wow, I was pretty spoiled to be around this great, like these records and these books and and you know these films of silent cinema and you know it just had really strong influences of people that really like the things that have run through my life and and um, but the blue the bluesy stuff I think like Lead Belly and Lomax and that I think that came mainly from like meeting Billy when I was at school and his whole like love for for like Robert Johnson, Lead Belly and this American stuff, you know. The American stuff I would have first heard would have probably been like the rock and roll stuff, you know, which was maybe some jazz. My, one of my uncles really liked jazz. But um, I think when I met Billy and he was heavily into the blues, also heavily into punk and Jimi Hendrix and all of that stuff as well, I was I discovered like records like Lead Belly and, and stuff and I was like, wow, that, I really resonated with their their want to escape their um mm. their mm-hmm. situation there it is yeah. there's, the, there's the thread it's like yeah. wow I, it's never I, I can late. also escape my situation <laughs> yeah it's never so, too late. so that's interesting yeah. so you kind of had this like older role model person that had that influence on you yeah i used to see him about town and he was married to this um at the time i think when i was a little kid he was married to and he's quite a figure even now in in that town you know in chatham and rochester he lives there he's never left you know although he's a, he's 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 quite made quite an impact on some places like Seattle and stuff, and mm-hmm. he's kind of Mud Honey and all of those groups. Yeah. And Sonic yeah. Youth really love Billy, and he's he's this guy that paints all the time, just really creative. And I, and I just gravitated towards it because I guess I was like, wow, you know, I, I I'm reading about Van Gogh and I'm reading about like stuff, and 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 in in your head it's such a time gone by that it's like oh the fifties and it's in the or it's last century or something, and and I guess for me it was just it wasn't necessarily the sound because I know maybe what I write is somewhat more accessible and more more tailored to a certain kind of radio friendly somewhat even if I must say that it's kind of not for the want of a better phrase should I say that but it's kind of um his is very his his music and everything he makes is very brutally honest and very raucous in a way that I don't think he's he cares too much about <laughs> whether something's out of tune or whether something, you know, he's just one of those kind of everything's entrenched in the blues and punk and 
And I, the thing that I gravitated towards was not necessarily the sound, but just the fact that someone was being that honest. Mm. And I was like, oh, wow, there's, there are people alive that are really painting and writing books and doing it as it should be done, and it doesn't necessarily have to all be in the past. There was this guy that was... And I guess that at the time really impacted me, and um, and I learned a lot from that period. I, I I obviously wanted to move on from that period too, and <laughs> learn more about exploring a studio and other things. And you know, I love the the I love classical music and jazz and all of that stuff. So I'm a different kind of person altogether than him. But it it was a big influence on me at the time, and certainly making my first record and this kind of song, you know. Mm. Well, you wanna you wanna play us one of our, one of your newer songs? Yeah, uh, I can play yeah. you. Do you want me to play? Well, I can play you what you want. I mean, there's there's a new batch that I just recorded in Nashville, which I probably don't know well enough to to do an acoustic version of. But I could do. Is you want a, me to do like? Yeah, no, don't, I don't like, like the man the, I am. Yeah, oh, that would be that's awesome. Such a great okay. song. I always think I always think some songs could be on previous records. This might have been one that would have been. On that last record, and then I and then I ended up in the second record I made, which was also on the same record label that that Billy's on and stuff, which is a kind of punk rock label. And here was me, kind of solo acoustic guy. Mm. Um, I met uh, at one of these shows a guy called Liam Watson was there, and he had recorded um, loads of Billy stuff, and you know way back and all of this stuff, and he had this beautiful analog studio and everything that was kind of reminiscent of like Sun Studios or something in London called Toe Rag. And he'd, he'd recorded so much, so many of the groups in London and stuff. And, and then he had this huge success in, a, in the early 2000s with recording Elephant of the White Stripes who had recorded there. And then after that, the studio became a, had a lot more of a spotlight on it and people in the press wrote about it. And and it was around, uh, I think, 2009 or something that I... Right after that first record I recorded with Billy, he was at a show and he was like, wow, I really loved your performance and you know, come by the studio and I'd love to record you. And I thought I was just going into another kind of me and the acoustic guitar just in a studio mm -hmm. setting. And, and then when I'd recorded a bunch of demos with him, I'd just gone in and had a kind of demo session. He said, how do you feel about me putting a, a band around you? And I said, I'd, I'd love that. You know, I, don't, I, I think he thought I might be opposed to it. But he was like, oh, I'll put really good players around you and, you know, there's a kind of country blues thing that you do and a kind of rock and roll thing I can see that we could do different from the first record. Mm. And we did. And this was, this song ended up kind of featuring on that that record, um, which kind of fitting, I guess, quite nicely, which is, the, the album's called A Virtual Landslide and this song's called I Don't Like The Man I Am.
There's this uh, there's a singer songwriter from the '60s, uh, Bob Dylan. Have you heard of him? Uh, I'm not too familiar with his material. Uh, I Robert think he Zimmerman. had something to do with those those guys uh, from Liverpool called the Beatles. I'm not too familiar with their material yeah, either. I think I've heard of them. <laughs> like the Bugs? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. You don't uh, like the Bug? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's like those guys. As you know, it's almost. I, I almost feel like it's somewhat weird if anyone, you know, doesn't isn't influenced by them in a way, even right. if it, even if it's a subtle way, because they had such a big impact on songwriting and everything. Even even some people that are very not very conscious of it still have an underlying influence because of, you know, the, the stuff that they did. And and there there is there is I think those first two records for me, because I was playing very solo acoustic and, you know, accompanied by harmonica a lot of the time. It's probably you know, a lot more influenced by that stuff than I am now, but I still, I still, you know, I still obviously have an underlying it. What's Some, not to love? The, 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 this guy in, in, you know, the guy I work with Nash, in Nashville, he just, he, he, he said it to me in a way that I thought, oh, no one's ever really put that to me. 
in that way. He just said, you're, you're a really like classic songwriter. And, and I guess I never thought of it like that because, you know, um, I guess there are so many good songwriters still today, but you know, they're, they're different in the realms of the way they approach a song or, or the way they, uh, layer a song or the hook or the, and I guess, you know, I'm just kind of more influenced by the, that, that period of time where it was get to the chorus fast and have a real hook right. and kind of, yeah. you know, tell a story and, Well, I was you know. listening to that song specifically in the car and I was just like, wow, these are powerful, the powerful yeah. Bob Dylan vibes, but like yeah. in the best way. And I mean, yeah, like, like who, like you said, who isn't influenced by Bob Dylan? And I, I, you know, it makes me feel a little silly for asking you earlier, like what made you gravitate toward that music <laughs> you were listening to? Because it's kind of obvious. Because it's great. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I mean, and I your guess voice I... has that operatic feel to it too. Yeah. Oh wow. Which well, I that's can a, that's hear that. a big yeah. compliment. I agree. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah, I tend to. I mean, I'm always flattered. I'm never ever. I'm never ever insulted. In a, I mean, how could you be? If, if anyone, you know, says you sound like a bit like Roy Orbison or Buddy Holly or something, mm. I'm, I'm usually floored by that. Because <laughs> They're like, thank you very guys, much. These guys, these guys, bit to be on the mic, <laughs> were just like the greats, you know. I mean, they really like were kind of inventing some of that. You, you, you listen to Buddy or something and the way he gave so much to the Beatles and, you know, lended, you know, pretty much handed them right. where they where they took off, you know. I mean, from... I hope that didn't sound snarky because what I meant to say was, like, you know, Bob Dylan really knew how to, like, yeah. sell, sell a feeling. And, and, and I mean, that's... It's, I that, guess... it's that projection, too, because it's like Edith Piaf back in the day. You just had to be louder because of the equipment recording yeah. on. So you have that kind of, like... She's so it loud. Really, right? Yeah, I just meant more she's like the so, gravitas and the she, gravitas. Too, yeah, she's yeah. so she's so loud. She's perfect example of just like an amazing voice. I, I guess as well, a lot of people forget that with Dylan, you know, I mean, because he's such a he's such a big thing in popular culture, um, in a way, because the sixties was a was a kind of great period of where these things all became like mainstream hits, whereas. Whereas in any other decade or something, Dylan might have just been a, a cafe guy. You just know. some folk singer. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you've got the Rolling Stones and Jimi Hendrix and the Beatles like talking about you, then obviously there's going to be some mainstream impact. And you know, but people do forget. They either don't. They either forget or they don't research enough to realize that the Beatles were heavily influenced by by Chuck Berry and by Bacharach and David and by Buddy Holly and by and they openly showed it, you know, and Dylan was really heavy, heavily influenced by Woody Guthrie and other people. But generally, those first four or five records, he was kind of obsessed by Woody Guthrie mm. <laughs> to the point where he was like, you know, held his uh, cigarette in the same <laughs> position and wore the same shirts and the yeah. same pose. Right. And, <laughs> and, you know, why wouldn't you be? I guess if you, it, it was such a big impact on him. But I guess because because Woody wasn't, such a big thing in the 60s and it was in the 40s and 50s he wasn't like in the pop chart so people generally think that Dylan invented this kind of thing and I think you know it was it was by the time Dylan had got there it was a folk revival yeah, yeah it already kind of happened in New York like 10 years before but because of the 60s it was much bigger because mm -hmm. the, because of the power of the 60s right who know? who influenced the influencer yeah <laughs> it comes from i think that's everyone that's the age old question i think <laughs> everyone is that's the thing even if you go back to to like beethoven you'll see that as great as he was and obviously he carved out a thing of his own 
he was influenced by Mozart and Bach. And and if you, even if you read about Michelangelo or something, there's there's influences there that you don't you don't just get by inventing stuff. You you know they had their influences all the way along in art. You know, um, and I guess even if you try and emulate something, the very fact that you're a different thing than what you're trying to emulate eventually you're going to create something new out of that you know That's even right. even if even if the beatles were trying to do buddy holly or chuck berry eventually they they hit upon a different sound you right, know? Well, bruce springsteen be... was trying to do roy orbison you know yeah yeah you might have your influence but it's still yours i actually got to have that conversation with 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 that's him, amazing which is which oh, is wow. an incredible thing because i mean he's much older and from another generation and and the the good thing was that our loves were talking about Dylan and Woody Guthrie and the Beatles and Roy Orbison was a big oh, one because yeah. he was like, you know, you have Roy this, you have this for the voice that is similar in ways, and I was like, no one similar to Roy Orbison. That is like it. That's a voice that stands on its own, and no mm. one can come close. But I mean, and also it's the that best compliment thing. in the world. Really, to to yeah, yeah. be even even in close to being in the same vicinity as someone that great, you know. So it's kind of you just take it on board, and and uh, I, it was great to speak to. I've never performed with Dylan, but I did get to perform with his son. And the funny funny thing is, when we were performing a particular song. I think I probably sounded a bit more like Dylan than he did, and he's not, <laughs> I thought he sounded like uh, people in the crowd are like, "Wait, is that Jacob?" I thought like, and he is a Dylan. <laughs> I thought it was weird that he looked so much like Dylan. Yeah. When I first I met him once before in in uh, Tennessee, and we we kind of shook hands and said hello. But then when we got to to work together, I was like, "Wow, it was weird because he looked like so much like him." But I thought he actually sounded more like Bruce Springsteen. Oh, I was yeah. like, "Wow, he's got a a hundred percent." Jacob's got kind of so a true. more attractive voice in some ways than his mm. dad, and it must be hard on Jacob as well. He's the sweetest character you could ever meet. And very talented, but obviously, you know, you've got a dad that's like he's got also a father that's very like attractive. a giant. Sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. He, he's gorgeous. <laughs> all the <laughs> girls like Jacob. Uh, well, I mean, yeah. listen, when I was a freshman in high school, he was all over the radio and that one headlight, I mean he was dreamy in that video. He's pretty. That's yeah. true, that's true. Yeah. I love the journey of those two songs you played. So you wanted to get out of chatting and then, you know, you couldn't love the Chatting maybe because yeah. you didn't love the man you are, but like, so now how do you feel about chatting? <laughs> it's, it's funny how when you spend. I'm kind of stretching it a little. Yeah. No, it's, that's a really interesting and important question because it's funny how when you spend time away from even the worst kind of, and I, and maybe I'm painting a really bad picture of chatting. There, there are some there are some things about it I could say. That are, you know, my family's still there. So I have to. As a team, you want to get out of the place. I mean, it's funny. Mila, my girlfriend, who's a performer and a dancer as well, she came to, uh, we went to England a couple of years ago, just before the the pandemic happened. And and, uh, we went to, you know, we landed in London, like you do. And she's from Brazil. So one of her aunties lives in London. He's married to a Brit. Uh, Elizabeth, she's fabulous, and she. Um, so we stayed with her in London for a f- couple of days. Uh, she lives in near Hampton Court Palace, beautiful and everything. So I said to Mila, you know, now we're going to go down like a, just less than an hour out of London to to Chatham, where my family lives, you know. And I said, my family's like, you know, very Mediterranean, and you're going to love them, but Chatham is a bit, you know, it's a tough town, so. <laughs> 
As we leave London on the train, as you do, you know, from Victoria Station, you go through, you start to get into Kent and it's all garden-esque and beautiful and you see all the greenery and stuff. And and I, I guess I was trying to paint the picture of my, you know, my upbringing in Chatham, which was kind of like, like, in my head, I wanted to get as far away from it as possible. Not in a snobby way, but just in a kind of like, I've got to kind of like go and live in the city, even if it's London. And then the funny thing was we go through Rochester and we see the cathedral and the castle and everything. And I'm like, oh, this is, you know, this is where I went to college. And so, and then we go, we pull up into Chatham and we get off the train. And as we, and I'm telling her all about like how it is. And as we get out, walk out of the train station, two guys are punching each other. <laughs> in, outside the train Just station. Full-blown fist Fighting. Fight. One yeah. of them standing over the other guy. And it couldn't, it couldn't have happened more like a, this point in time where I was <laughs> telling her and I was like and I it was just like that's Chatham yeah you just <laughs> right there in a Rochester anymore <laughs> you know just left the pub on the corner yep oh wow um, love it probably fighting about nothing mm. I'll tell you one other thing um, uh, just before we you know wrap up or whatever the, one other thing that was quite apt about this song Black Town to just to add to your your show is that when I did that first record, Walking Off the Map, the, the, the label, which was a small label, he said, oh, we do this licensing to um, Australia. This label called Shock Records wants to bring you to Australia. And I was like, cool. And he was like, well, you're right, going on your own with no band or anything. He was like, tour manager will, will pick you up and, you know, you'll be supporting some of these bands. And I was like, sure. I'd been enough around to other places on my own. So even though it was quite weird going down that far, Got there, done a tour. I'll cut it short. We, you know, we good. And then I had some family in Australia as well, like America, that I never really met. It was cousins from my dad's side that were in, and uh, a couple of cousins in Sydney and Adelaide. And and I was like, I'd only seen them as really young kids. I could barely remember it. This might make the hairs stand up on your uh, on your uh, your arms a little bit. I I um after I'd finished the show in Sydney, they said, Do you want to like we'll come out to the show and then. You know, because you're not driving, do you want to just catch a train down to where we live? Which was kind of an hour outside of Sydney, almost rem reminiscent of the hour that I lived outside of London. So I said, sure. So I got on the train and I, I in fact, asked the tour manager about where I was going. And he said, it's kind of like a rough neighborhood in Sydney, Australia. You know, it's kind of, so I was like, all right, it's cool. I didn't really pay attention to too much that was on the, um, the information where I was going. And then as I pulled up to the to, to the place, it was this place in in outside of Sydney, Australia is called Blacktown. Oh wow. Which I was like, oh. damn. That's yeah. kinda like weird. I'd never kinda like written anything and then all of a sudden been to a and it was it was like about an hour outside of the city, which is kind of close to you know, Chatham being an outside uh, an hour outside of London. You manifested that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I survived it. And you were, survived there, it? Were, there, yeah. were there guys punching each other outside the train station? There wasn't. Oh. There wasn't on that occasion. That's a chat. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely <laughs> yeah. primarily Save it for home, yeah. 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 <laughs> thank you yeah. so much, Yeah, thank Pete. you for being yeah, here. Yeah, thank, thank you, Pete. Yes. That was wonderful. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Wow. Pete. Amazing. Wow. <laughs> Man, I mean, what a life. Uh, yeah. And what a life he continues to have just, you know, making music with these incredible people and 
traveling and living in all these different cities. Truly a troubadour. Truly, yep. a, truly a troubadour. You heard him reference to his girlfriend Mila. She's now his wife. Ooh. So congratulations to them. Yeah. They are the most glamorous people I've ever seen. Uh, very exciting news. Pete's record, Just Like Achilles, which was produced by none other than Linda Perry, is, uh, is out this fall on Blind Faith Records. So definitely look for that. And of course, this man is already back in the studio working on new songs. So give him a follow on Instagram. Give us a follow too. Of course, we put all the links to all of this stuff in the show notes. And as always, we appreciate the old subscribe rate review. Yes. It really does help boost our visibility on the platforms. And, you know, thank you for listening. Thank you for hanging out with us. We love you. Yeah. Um, tune in next week for <laughs> Sam Lopez, who you may know as Tapioca and the Flea, or more recently, Coquie. Yeah. See you then.